WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here's your host, Mike Schmidt, doing it solo today. Morning, Mike. Good morning, and thank you so much for tuning in to the show today. We really appreciate it. As you just heard, my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ here in Savona Boulevard. And my usual partner, Gary Jones, is under the, we- under the weather this morning. Hope he gets to feeling better. He's been kind of struggling all week, so hope that he gets to feeling better. But we'll try to do this by ourselves this morning. Uh, my wife would laugh because she knows, for me, talking for an hour is not a problem, usually. Now, that doesn't mean we'll have anything coherent to say, of course. You'll have to dis- judge that for yourself. But uh, we do appreciate you tuning in to the show. We Are Just Christians is about trying to teach New Testament Christianity and just New Testament Christianity here on the Treasure Coast. We don't believe in following the traditions and customs of men and binding them as if they're something from God. And we do not believe in denominationalism as it's usually seen, where the Church of the Lord is just all a bunch of individual people deciding what they want to believe and do and following that. So we hold up the Bible as the standard, especially the New Testament, for our practice and our faith, both individually and as a group. And we try to teach this concept, which is not an easy one, not not only to understand but to practice, of going back and and, uh, recreating the New Testament church from the first century here in the 21st century. And so we invite you along on this journey. We do do a lot of different things on the show, I think. We we talk about current events, try to put them into perspective. We'll do a little little bit of that this morning. We talk about different uh, teachings from the Bible that people bring up. But most of the show, hopefully... Uh, the best part of the show, it should, I should say, is run off of uh, your calls, your comments, your questions. And we certainly solicit that. I'm going to give you the numbers, how you can reach us here in just a moment on the show. We'd, be, we'd love to have your input into the show or your feedback. And we'd like to invite you to do that. I'm, I hope I can convince you that you don't have to be embarrassed or afraid to call in. We're not going to uh, try to put you on the spot or test your Bible knowledge or anything like that. This is about us understanding and trying to c- come to understand the Bible and God together. And you may disagree with the things we say. You may disagree with religion or, or Christianity entirely, and we'd love to have your calls and comments about that. But we, we're we not going to try to embarrass you or cut you off. We're going to give you the last word. Just call in, turn off your uh, Turn off your radio or whatever you're listening to and tune in. We, I mean, and listen on the phone, and um, we'd be glad to talk with you. We have to overcome that five or six, seven second delay that the radio station has to put in there. And sometimes we, it, it's difficult to do that if you're listening on the radio and t- then us talking to you because it gets very confusing, and it confuses confuses me quite frankly. So we'd invite you to call in though. You can reach us here live on WPSL at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number to call in. Ray there at the station will pass you right on through to us here. We're, we Skype this from our church building, so I'm sitting in front of a computer. I can't see him, so uh, we'll, we'll he'll pass it to me, and we'll have a conversation. 772-340-1590. If you would like to uh, reach us by text message, I'm just going to go ahead and give you my text message this number this morning since I'm the one that's here. But you can use this number not only during the show, but any time during the week. We get texts from time to time from listeners, and we're really glad about that. This is my text number, Mike, 772-260-6120. Maybe it's easier for you to talk into your phone and text something um, if you're in your car this morning or some other time. Maybe you just think of something while you're out. Go ahead and text me a question or a comment or a criticism, 772-260-6120. We'd love to have your input. I, re- I was looking back through some old, it reminds me, I was looking back through some old uh, emails or something, sorting things out. Uh, I got down to zero in my inbox, and now I'm back up to 1,300 in my inbox, unread. I mean, there's thousands in there, but unread. So I was trying to sort out a few things since I was traveling this week, and I ran across an email from a listener basically saying, I don't like your show because it's all one-sided. You and Gary tend to agree with one another, and so it's not very interesting. 
I understand that completely. But that's not an in, that's not a completely invalid criticism. It's just it's difficult to uh, get people to call in who disagree. Uh, I, I haven't gone out and sought to find some atheist or unbeliever here in, in this area and put them on the air. I suppose we could do that sometime. I'm not against that. I've been engaged in a couple of different religious debates. And I used to do a lot of uh, high school and college debating and judging of debates and, and state tournaments and all kinds of stuff like that, competing nationally. So I'm not against competition. I'm not against opposing viewpoints. It's just it's difficult to arrange that in the format of the show. But we would be glad to have you call in if you've got uh, some differing ideas. Maybe you've had a very bad experience with religion or with a preacher or a pastor, uh, with a church. M- maybe you have come to doubt the things that are in the Bible uh, or God himself. We'd love to hear from you. And I, have, I can promise you we're not going to uh, embarrass you or demean you or somehow just insult you. It, that, that, doesn't, that serves no purpose isn't even particularly a Christian thing to do. So we'd just like to have a discussion here on your side. And, of course, we reserve the right to you know, say we disagree and tell you why. Hope you can do that. If you'd like to do that, that'd be great. We'd love to hear from you on the show. We have a certain presuppositions that we've come to by living life and by reading and studying and so forth about the Bible and about the world, and we understand that. You do, too. Whether you realize it or not, you have certain understandings and presuppositions that you operate by. And so we're going to have to work our way through that. But I think that good comes from those kinds of things, and we'd appreciate you calling in. So you can reach us here by telephone 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number to reach us live. You can re- text us 772-260-6120-6120 is the text number. Can also reach us by email. I'm going to give you. I forget this a lot of the times at justchristians at att.net. Justchristiansatt.net is what is how you reach us by email. And we do get emails from time to time. You can take your time, write out something long, and uh, we have a chance to respond to that either personally or use it on the air um, as a springboard for. <clears throat> some other discussions, so we would be glad to do that. Well, we got a question that came in. Oh, now I can't find my phone. I've left my phone somewhere. Uh, hmm, that's going to be bad. But in any event, I uh, must have laid it down some other place in the building this morning. Um, the um, the texture says, um, let me pull it up here. Give me just a second to pull it up on the computer since it's, you know, I'm Mr. Techno. My watch is dinging me. My computer's dinging me, and I reach for my phone where all this is supposed to be coming in. It's nowhere to be found. But uh, John says, when you say first century Christianity, do you mean from 30 to 100 A.D.? There were a lot of versions of Christianity until 325. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, hmm, I'm going to comment on a couple things there. Yes, in general, I'm talking about the fact that uh, I believe that the that the New Testament the books of the New Testament were completed by around the year 96 or 100 A.D. The New Testament as a compendium or a collection of books was not put together in that form until later. We have references in the Bible itself in the New Testament, like Colossians 4, 6, where Paul said, you take my letter I wrote to you and you give it to these other churches and so forth. So they were circulating these letters in New Testament times between each other, and then eventually they were put together. And collected, and there were there were disputes about what belongs in and what didn't belong in for a couple hundred years after that. Um, but but I think I am referring to the fact that the New Testament, the books themselves, purport to have been written uh, from the time of the of uh, before the life of Christ, the John the Baptist time, that the Bible leads up to Christ's birth, who is a few months older than Jesus, all the way through the Apostle John dying. Uh, and his last letter was uh, written from the island of Patmos in about 96 A.D., most people think. Some say earlier. But we certainly think that John lived toward till toward the end of that first century. Now then, that those are the events of the New Testament. And that's what we're trying to get back to. Because we know that when we follow, as the early Christians did in Acts 2.47, they gave themselves over to the apostles' teaching into the teaching of those inspired men who were taught by the apostles there in the first century who wrote those books. 
who traveled around the other apostles and other men with them, like Barnabas and Silas, that were teaching what the apostles taught. Jesus had told the apostles to go into all the world and teach the gospel to every creature. And um, Jude says in Jude 3, one of the later books of the New Testament, Jude says, who is probably a half-brother of Jesus, Jude says that the gospel had been, that we were to contend earnestly for the faith which had been once for all delivered to the saints. So he says, speaking of that whole period of time, that the faith, the things that we should believe as Christians, had already been delivered in the first century. And so this is the this is why we believe to go back to that. And, and uh, the book of Galatians, let me pull this up here. Uh, there are several warnings. I, we've gone over these uh, a few times here on this show, so I don't want to be, well, huh. the people who are here all the time would laugh if they hear me say uh, that I don't want to be repetitive, but because <laughs> I repeat things all the time. But there are certainly in, in, several scriptures that indicate that the apostles themselves were teaching and believed that that there was not to be any change or additions after the New Testament times. Whereas the Catholic Church, as an example, not to pick on them, but as an example, the Catholic Church teaches that what was written in the first century by the apostles is a good is the church or the gospel in an embryonic state or the initial state, but that men who came along later, that is the popes and cardinals, the Holy See, were instructed to add to that gospel and develop that gospel into what it fully should be. And so they view all the changes that have been made in the doctrine and teaching of the New Testament uh, writings. They view all of those changes, and they don't deny that there have been changes. The Catholic Church says, yes, there's changes. We did that intentionally because we believe that we're supposed to develop through the teaching of the popes and the cardinals and so forth that these teachings well the gospel doesn't say anything like that this doctrine of development is simply not what the bible teaches and so yes we are referring to that first century uh paul says in galatians chapter one to these galatians this is a fairly early letter but the churches of galatia which are in the area what we would call maybe turkey and they have a there was such a cross current of different cultures coming through that region because of the central role it played in trade in ancient times that these people were inundated with different kinds of philosophies both greek pagan some from all over the east and what we call india or china they were all being inundated by all these different kinds of teachings and so paul says to these christians in, in the book of galatians chapter 1 verse 6 I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Now, that tells me right away that it, according to the New Testament, it is certainly possible to believe something and still call yourself a Christian, but to believe something that's a different gospel than what was revealed. The idea that, well, a Christian said it or some pastor said it, it must be true, or some church teaches it, it must be true is simply not accurate. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to come to the second part of the text in a moment about the different versions of Christianity, if I can remember to do that. So he says, you're turning away quickly from, from what you were taught initially, the true gospel, to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert or, or twist the gospel of Christ. Almost every false teaching whether it's in the world and secular teaching and secular ideas or in religion, is simply a twisting of what is true. There's an element of truth in almost every lie I've ever heard. There's some element of truth. And so we have to be able to discern those kinds of things. Now then he says, but even, but he says, even if we, that is the apostles, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as though we have said before, so say I now again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which we have preached or received, that which you have received, excuse me, let him be accursed. So here are a couple of things you can draw from this passage, a very important one. Number one, the gospel had already been given when Paul wrote this that they could understand. They had already been taught what they needed to know, and they could certainly find out from the apostles teaching these other letters that were written what they needed to know. 
but that some people were changing that gospel fairly early on. They were trying to teach something different. And Paul warns them, don't go and follow these twisted or perverted gospels. But he says, if we, if an apostle comes along later and teaches something wrong, which apparently was possible to do, he says, let him be accursed. If an angel from heaven, and I've heard people, well, an angel came and told me this. If any angel teaches anything different than we preach, let him be accursed. Now, see, this is where I, this is where the, one of the first passages that I would get off with the, um, that I would get off with the Mormon church. Because the whole Mormon religion, Latter-day Saints, I don't, I'm not trying to insult them by calling them Mormons, it's just a common name, but the Latter-day Saints believe that the angel Moroni gave an addition a, to the gospel of Christ to Joseph Smith and left it in some books. But he says, if anybody, even if an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel, and it's certainly true that the Book of Mormon is different than the New Testament, let him be accursed. And then he says, as I said before, so say it again, I'm just going to repeat myself. If anyone, not apostles, not angels, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. So Paul is warning them, do not be led astray by these various teachings. So, so right in the first century here, we have this understanding from the apostle Paul that there was going to be a change is brought in changes made and so he warns them not to fall prey to this and then you go over uh, to the book of acts here the apostle paul is speaking to the elders of the church at ephesus he's on one of his missionary journeys he goes by there calls the elders from ephesus out to the coast where his ship is and he talks to them and he gives them a warning as elders in the church in verse acts 20 verse 28 Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders or bishops to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this. So here we have in this passage all three names for the leaders of the church that the Bible gives. All three the same men, not three different offices. He called the elders to him. When he got them there, he, called, he told them that, that they had been made overseers and that they were to shepherd or pastor the flock. So here's pastors, elders, and bishops, all three the same men, and Paul addresses them all at the same time as the same people, not three separate offices here. And so he says to them, you, you shepherd the church of God. For I know, he says, that after my departure, after Paul's death, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. For among yourselves, men will also rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember for three years, I did not cease to warn you day and night with tears. And so he tells them that when the apostles died at the end of the New Testament period, there were going to come in wolves who would rise up really from among the elders from the leadership, which is what we see how the how these uh, Catholic church developed over time that they would speak twisted things. Again, here's that word perverse, twisting the truth, adding to the gospel. So yes, there were different, uh, th there were, uh, this is the first century church is being talked about. That's what we're trying to go back to. And we're trying to go back to just what the apostles taught, what the New Testament teaches, because that's what we're told to hold on to and not to believe some other version of Christianity. Now, yes, there were different versions of Christianity up until 325. Of course, there have been many since then. That's, that's, a, that's when the Council of Nicaea uh, took place, there, thereabouts. And so someone made an attempt to solidify some church teaching, but the Council of Nicaea was certainly not an inspired council from the apostles. It was just a gathering of men. It was probably probably had in it some of these same wolves, as Paul called them, that were changing the gospel of Christ. So I don't care what the Council of Nicaea says. It's church history is interesting. I've got huge volumes of books in my library on church history. It's very interesting. Mostly what you see in reading church history is human inventions and a departure from New Testament teaching. That's what you see. This is exactly what the apostle predicted would take place. That's what happened. And so, no, I, we don't go back here at this church to the Apostles' Creed. We don't go back to the Didache. We don't go back to the Council of Nicaea 
or the Council of Trent or any of the other councils to find out what we ought to believe. If you if you were to come here and and uh, and study in our Bible classes and so forth, we would be doing our best to teach you plainly from the New Testament and from the Old Testament scriptures as they relate to the New. We would try to do teach you those things so you could have an understanding of God's word directly from that. That's not to say that some people that came after the apostles don't have good things to say. Some do, but we have to always weigh them because they're just the teachings of men. And so there is this, there is a, um, yes, there's a body of teaching that the apostles put forward. And I'm talking about not only that they put forward in writing, but that what they were teaching orally before it began to be written down. Paul says, sometimes you've heard it from me by mouth. Sometimes I wrote it down for you. Then he tells us that when we read what he wrote in Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, you can understand his understanding of the mystery when we read what he wrote down. Now, the other text comes in. So there were a lot of versions of Christianity. Yes, there were. That doesn't mean that they were correct. I understand that they were. I don't say, well, that's Christianity. So, well, no, a lot of things are called Christianity. That's why we that's why I use this name. And it's not even a Bible name, strangely enough. New Testament Christianity, not just Christianity, because there are things called Christianity that aren't anything like what the gospel teaches. People call themselves. We got we got a porn star out in California who calls herself a Christian pastor. And there's another one that used to be in porn, the life of porn, came and became a pastor. Now she's going back and still claims to be a Christian and not to be bound by tradition. Lots of people call themselves Christians who are not following the New Testament. So, no, I don't buy the idea that just because it. Uh, people have historically called something Christian, that that makes it what the Bible teaches about it, because I don't believe that that's true. I think that uh, uh, there is certainly uh, false Christianity out there. Now then, he says, the synoptics, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, came after Paul. Well, no, the copies that we have came after Paul. Some of the writing was done after Paul, but certainly, certainly can't be said that the teachings that are in those first Gospels were invented after Paul came along. They were already well known. I mean, Paul even refers to some of these things. Uh, so the gospel Paul's referring to must mean what Paul orally told them. Well, no, Paul was teaching the same thing as the other apostles. He says so plainly. He got it directly from God, just like they did, and he says that. And so you, you've got, you know, if you put your faith in, well, we say this book was written in 64 AD, you're, you're going to be misplaced because we don't know when some of these books were written, but we do know that the books that were written were based upon teaching that was orally that already was being done by Paul and the other apostles. All of Paul's letters, the text says, seem to be corrections and answering questions. Well, they were corrections, they were teachings, and he was answering questions like in the book of 1 Corinthians maybe first Thessalonians that had come up. So we know there are probably Jewish Christians who still upheld the law and did not like what Paul was telling the Gentiles. Well, of course we, we know that. That's, that's why Paul was put to death, because there were people who called themselves Christians who were still Jew, who were still holding the Jewish customs. Some of those people were supporters of Paul. Some of those people were enemies of Paul. It doesn't mean that they were correct just because they existed and were tell, saying these things. But no, the, uh, many of and the Jewish leaders did not like what Paul was telling the Gentiles, that they could be saved without the law of Moses. And that's why he was put to death. This is a big theme in the New Testament. Do you have to follow the law of Moses to be saved or not? And the answer is you do not. And you can keep your own culture, as it were, in general, as long as it's not teaching you to do something immoral and still be a Christian whether it's Jewish or pagan or whatever, as long as you're not intentionally worshiping another god, doing something directly immoral, you can keep your customs of your society and be a Christian by following Jesus Christ. That's true if you're a Jew, if you want to circumcise your children, or Gentile, and you don't want to circumcise your children. Those are, those are two things the New Testament says. The, neither one of those things matter for salvation. Now, we have some other texts. I'm not sure I can get to them since I don't have my uh, phone here, but... Um, uh, maybe I can pull them up here. Um, this one says, Hi, I'm, I'm, I'm a recovering porn addict, and I texted you before, which I remember. 
Incidentally, I'm in Ephesians right now, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, resonated in particular, but all of chapter 4 is amazing. And that's interesting because I was reading in, in this, in fact, I'm going to use uh, a section of chapter 4, Ephesians 4, probably in my sermon today, if I can get, I might, I might not get to it. I end up doing this, I study, and then uh, my wife laughs at me because I keep working on it, working on it. Instead of getting it shorter like you're supposed to, I get it longer. But Ephesians 4 is a, is a wonderful chapter where Paul lays out uh, this whole, the first, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are sort of doctrinal, I would say. They're, they're about, well, the theme of the book of Ephesians, I think, is found in Ephesians 4. Uh, in verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you were called. So I would say it's walking worthy is the main thing, but there, but he says you're to walk in Christ. So walking in Christ, I think, is the theme of the book of Ephesians. Chapter 4 kind of makes that statement there in verse 1. The first three chapters leading up to verse 4, he talks about how to be in Christ, what the blessings we have in Christ, and all the other things that go with being in Christ. Then in chapter 4, 5, and 6, the last three chapters of the book, he tells us how we ought to live in Christ, and what it means to be a Christian as far as the practical aspects of life. And that's why we're supposed to walk with lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering and bear with one another, endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. There's one body. There's not many denominations, all different bodies of Christ. There's one body, one Spirit. You were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord. One faith, one baptism, not all different kinds of baptism. One God and Father of all. So he's, he's talking about the unity that we all have to have in Christ. Then he talked about the gifts that Christ gave to the church <clears throat> when he ascended back to heaven. In verse 11, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He gave these gifts, all of them involved teaching. Teaching what? Teaching the traditions of the, of the Catholic popes. No, teaching what Christ taught and what the apostles taught, okay? And so, you, and it, why was that? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so we can all grow up to be a complete man, a full man, a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of Christ, not tossed about with every wind of doctrine. This is what we see so often, even today, that any new little teaching that comes along, anybody that writes a book or becomes a famous, quote-unquote, pastor, everybody just follows along with that without really even questioning what's said by these people and, and the and the Bible warns us go back to the teachings of the apostles and these teachers in the church and follow them and not be carried about with everything that comes along you see he talks about the body in whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according by the effective working by which every part does its share causes a growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. One of the problems I've had is a, I've been a, a, a preacher, local minister for 46 years now, maybe more, maybe more, I can't even count the numbers, in local churches in, in um, Florida and Illinois. And um, what I see so often in churches is that just a few members of that body are effectively trying to work Many are just kind of along for the ride, it seems. I don't try to be I don't know people's heart altogether, but they don't participate much. They have a difficult time. You have a difficult time even getting them involved. Uh, and yet others do most. Or if we decide to do something here, it, oftentimes over the years, it's going to be the same group of people that's going to show up and get, do something that needs to be done, physical or spiritual. And then you, then you have the growth of a few that begin to grow and participate. Paul says it shouldn't be like that. All of us should be joined together in the body, working together. Christianity is not, as some people suppose today, some individual thing that you do at home like yoga meditation. As long as you're doing something at home, it's your own personal study, you're, you're doing fine. That, that's, not, that's good, but it's not, it's not all that there is to Christianity. Christianity is, involves coming together as a part of a body. That's what's been so destructive about this pandemic, as it's called, and so many people abandoning public worship during this pandemic for months and months, years now at a time, is it's destroying part of this concept of 
bodies working together, pulling us back to a more individualistic Christianity, which is going to be missing something. And then he says to me as an individual, individuals, that we stop walking the way we used to walk, to, we stop living like we used to live, having our understanding darkened, it says in verse 18, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance and blindness and so forth, who being past feeling, that is, they don't feel any guilt for the things that they do. They've given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Not only do they do unclean things, they do it more and more every day in our media, in our culture. Some, our leaders, as it were, some of them political, many of them cultural leaders, they pursue uncleanness with greediness. They always have to push the envelope to some new level. And that this is what he says it was like back in the ancient world. He says, you Christians have to turn away from that. This is blind. This is giving yourself, this is being alienated from the life of God. And yet we have people that want to live that kind of life, given over to lewdness and greedily pursuing lewdness, that think that they're to be set up as a pastor, as it were, and that they're, this is not what the New Testament teaches. I don't care what counsel you go back to. You got to go back to the New Testament to read what it says here. And he says, you have not so learned Christ. This is not what you were taught about being a Christian. You were taught in life. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis, or maybe it was G.K. Chesterton, said that the one new virtue that Christianity introduced into the Greek and Roman world was the virtue of chastity, meaning self-restraint, in particular with regard to sexual morals, but just in general introducing self-restraint upon society, chastity, being set apart to the service of God not being able to say, I'm going to do whatever I want. It's my body, my choice, whatever the slogan is today. My body, my choice. That's the big slogan. Well, in, as a Christian, Christians cannot adopt that slogan, my body, my choice. It's an unscriptural, wrong slogan. Because once you become a Christian, your body now belongs to the Lord. So you're, it's not your body, your choice. It's the Lord's body, and it's his choice, what you do with it. That's what this passage is saying here. You have been bought with a price, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price. As a Christian, we can't expect worldly people to live by that. We understand why they say, my body, my choice. But there are too many Christians of all different sorts and stripes, call themselves Christians anyway, both who are doing it publicly and privately. They're living by the slogan, my body, my choice. And yes, you members here at Savona Boulevard, I guess you just figured out the title of a sermon I got coming up soon. Just thought of it right now. <laughs> in any event, this chapter first, uh, uh, this chapter here in Ephesians chapter four that Jason mentions is just a great chapter. So he tells us to put off, you know, the, concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you can put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, Christianity is not just a list of commands and thou shalt not. There's obviously a lot of what Paul is saying here involves us understanding thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie. We understand that a lot of what Christianity tells us is to change our behavior. But the real thing, the real thing that's going on in becoming a Christian is a change of heart, a change internally to make you someone different than you would be otherwise. That's the process that has to happen when you become a Christian. And this is why, from the standpoint of the world, we see so many people that uh, call us all phonies because what they see, so many people that try to nominally be call themselves a Christian, go to church once in a while, put a, a gold cross around their neck, but they keep living and thinking exactly the same way as they did before. They've never really been converted because they've never understood the gravity of their sin, never looked in the New Testament to see how should I be acting. They've never replaced their greed with contentment and thankfulness. They've never, they've, they've never replaced their, their lust with self-control and love toward other people, thinking of others first. They've never, they, they've never replaced that selfish conceit with of my body and my choice to what does the Lord require of me? And so when you begin 
to then understand who Christ is in a real way and begin to to look at who you are inside in truth. The gospel works from the inside out. It renews your spirit, not by some magic, but by the word of God. You begin to be renewed. Your thinking changes. Your actions begin to change. So there's a real change in a person. Not not just a not just a superficial change, but a real change. Uh, I think we have a call. Gary, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can. How are you doing? Well, I'd rather be there. <laughs> Good. Well, we'd rather you be here, too. Well, I'm going to change the subject on you just a little bit. I, I got to... two or three other texts to cha- change the subject. If I ever get around to it, we'll change it again. So go ahead. Uh, let's, let's go back to Jude verses 3 and 4. Okay. Well, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I find it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all the saints. For certain men have crept in unmissed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God God, into lewdness and denied the only Lord and our Lord God Jesus Christ. Goes right along with what Paul said in the Ephesian letter to the Ephesian elders. Yes, it um, it's almost the same thing. It's the same message. That's why this idea of um, Christianity just about how you that feeling good all the time, or that we can just call whatever doctrinal development took place in the centuries after the New Testament as being a good thing. He's saying no. There's 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 false teachers coming, and they're already here. And they're 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 not. It's not just that they're teaching some little error that about things that don't matter. These were serious things that ended up denying the the deity of Jesus Christ, for example. And so, yeah, they they were marked out. He these kind of people have always. I think that's what verse four means, Gary, when it says certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men. And who turned the grace of God into, into lewdness and denied our only Lord and Savior. People have always been like this. There's always been a class of people. And I think of, I think of he says, these ungodly people turned the grace of God into lewdness. That's exactly, and I go back to this because it's so egregious, this couple, the porn star and her husband out in California, and they're maybe, they're an extreme example, and that's why I'm using them, but this kind of thing is always present. The, the the appeal they're making with that church is that we're a church of sinners for sinners, and that this is a place where you can come and have fun. Be, they said literally, this is where you can come and have fun being a Christian. And so they turn the salvation, the grace of God having mercy upon them to forgive their sins, into an opportunity for lewdness. And the word for lewdness there is a lack of self-control, a celgia, it's lasciviousness, meaning that the idea that pretty much you get to choose what you do and you can do anything you want. This is can, this has always been present in human are, teachings. You're not going to be a Christian, but you're, but you're not going to be a Christian when you're having... Not in the all- Bible sense, no. So so I'll, I'll let you go. I appreciate that. That, this is a, that passage in Jude is really a, it's a startling book. That book is very, very... What's the, I'm not sure what the modern word, it's in your face. It's not something, there aren't many passages in the book of Jude that you would want to sit down a needle point and put above your dining room table. They're serious passages about serious problems and, and they are about false teachers and, the kind, and God's condemnation of people who are immoral and who believe a lie. It's a serious book. And I'm not excusing my own self from looking at what that verse, those verses say seriously. But, but um, this is this was what was going on. I think this was written toward the end of the first century, and this is what was going on. And Jude stepped up and said, "This cannot be a part of of the true Christian faith. These men must be stopped." He says, "Their basically their mouths must be stopped." And um, so anyway, it's a great book. I'm glad you brought it back up. Hope you feel better. This is the character of those people that Paul called the wolves. Paul called what? Wolves. Is that what you said? 
Yes. Yes, they're deceptive, they're cunning, but in the end, they're very dangerous. And uh, they're dangerous to your faith. They're, they're dangerous to people's faith. So don't be led astray by these kinds of stories in the media and uh, what you see on YouTube and Instagram or wherever you're seeing it <clears throat> about these slick people who want to teach something and be so hip and cool with the gospel of Christ. You need to go back in the Bible yourself and dig in there and find out what it really says. And that's why I like uh, Jason's text about reading Ephesians 4 there, Gary, because that chapter is so much about a change of heart that has to take place in the Christian, not a figuring out how God will justify how you already feel, but a change of heart. Uh, and, and that's what's required of all of us. And you and I both know, Gary, that some of the problems we face in churches as trying to lead people correctly as shepherds is that um, they want to keep living and thinking the way they did before they became a Christian. Rather than alter that behavior, alter that thought process. And that's well, what that that's what Ephesians 4 is about. Something I'd trans- like to say. What's that? I'd like to say is that basically a person who reads must have a disposition to read and hear and understand. If you don't have that disposition, you you don't get anywhere. Correct. Yes, you're right. You have to read with understanding, it says, or with wisdom. Now, I think it's possible, I know you're not addressing this point, I think it's possible for someone to open up the Bible who is a skeptic, even an unbeliever, or who is even an immoral person. And when they first read these words, there may be the first time they come across them. They don't mean much to them. They might even argue with them. But those words can settle in someone's heart, and maybe the next time they read them or come across them, things have changed, and they penetrate. The seed can p- penetrates the hardened soil and begins to take root. And And I think that happens even to people like me who have been doing this kind of thing since they were a very young person, is that I've read most of these passages several times before, many times before. But then you go back and you read again, and and something just clicks about a certain phrase or a passage that says, wow, is that me? Is that what I look like? Uh, do I need to do something about that? And so it just... Uh, the word of God is like that. That's how the spirit works on you. It's not some kind of magical thing, but that's how the spirit works. So, yes, if you're, you're a person who has some skepticism about the Bible, that's that's a, that can be understandable. But you need to keep reading. That's where you'll find the treasure there in the scriptures. And so, yes, read with understanding. And, and, and that means willingness to apply it to your own self and your own heart and examine your own actions. And lots of people that have sit in pews their whole life have never really done that either. That are like uh, what we would say Pharaoh. They do not have a disposition to accept anything that would change what they say. You have to come to the scripture with that disposition that I'm looking for the truth or something like that for this to be effective. Well, you yeah, yes, you have, to, you have to. You have to stop being afraid of changing, of actually changing, and stop trying to. We read the scriptures and most everything else we hear very defensively sometimes. We're reading, trying to defend ourselves rather than let it sink in our hearts. Challenges. Um, I've dealt, Gary, this may be a crazy illustration that comes to mind, though. I've dealt with with uh, women who have been sexually abused before in trying to counsel, encourage them. And and sometimes when, when I'm trying to read from the scriptures or counsel them about dealing with this problem forthrightly, uh, a great fear comes over them. And so they resist everything that's being said and, and, and have a lot of excuses why that they can't do this or that or the other. Because, see, sometimes sin produces sin. So being sinned against, this is what Jesus is saying about causing one of these little ones to stumble. Sin 
being sinned against often produces a sinful response in me. Someone hits me and then I get angry and kill them. And so uh, sin produces sin. And sometimes the path out of out of the bondage of being abused is to actually repent of what you've done, not of what your abuser's done. He, he, he or she's got to pay for that. But sometimes you have to repent for what you've become. And, and the fear that comes over people in that situation is palpable. You can sense it and feel it because the word is requiring something of them. And it's, it's, they resist it. And as long as they resist, they can never make progress. This goes for so many kinds of sin. When, when we resist, we can never make progress. That's what's so astounding about that story of David uh, when Nathan came and told him the story of the little lamb. Uh, and Nathan says, so what should be done with this person who killed this little lamb and took away a man's possessions? And he says, well, he should be uh, put to death. And Nathan says, thou art the man. He, Nathan knew that David's heart was so hardened against his own behavior because he'd been sitting there for a, for a year and not repenting. that he had to come in the back door, as it were, to David's conscience. <clears throat> and he came in the back door and then David was able to see himself for what he was, showed David what he was. This is the beauty and the power of the word of God. And I hope Jason, our listener who's reading Ephesians 4, I hope God blesses him to read that chapter with understanding and to not have fear of making the changes that got to take place so that he can change. And I hope all of our listeners are the same. Gary, did I keep talking? You want us to add any more to this? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that Cain, Cain was another example of that. Uh, basically, sin sin made sin from uh, from his actions. Yes, he sinned against God by the sacrifice he offered. When he was rebuked by God about it, he became angry and killed his brother, blamed his brother because his brother's deeds were righteous, the New Testament says, killed his brother. And then when God confronted him about that, he left the Lord, went out to a place of wandering, and his descendants and him, him left the Lord altogether. In fact, Jude describes people who have gone in the way of Cain. There's a way he, he paid for people who want to leave God and what they're going to do. And influences them, but not only them, but their families. So there's this whole process that you bring up here. Rather than turning back toward God, which I think Adam and Eve did when they sinned, I think they turned back toward God. And and uh, and they produced a good son named Seth later, but uh, this is the thing that all of us struggle with, and it's an age-old problem. But one of the things that you see false teachers False teachers, some, there are different kinds of false teachers. Some of them you have to handle with kid gloves because they can destroy you. Others do it out of ignorance or fear. They teach a doctrine that suits them because it's too painful to grapple with the truth, you see. And so they teach, doc, they, they come up with exaggerations and all that kind of stuff that lead them astray. I think that's where Martin Luther was. I think Martin Luther's own personal conscience was so sensitive that he had a difficult time dealing with his own conscience. And and um, the Catholic Church's false teaching of of uh, penance and indulgences wasn't going to satisfy him because it was false. He could tell right away it was hypocritical and shallow. And so he fought against that. But his te- his belief that he was so corrupted that he could never even think a good thought led him into other false teaching. So in other, words, in other words, he was fighting one error, but went the other way and didn't follow what the Bible said, didn't stay within the bounds of the scriptures, ended up going the other direction. And I don't think he was a bad man. I think he was in great error, and he's led, because of that, he's led many people astray in history with his teaching of faith only. So anyway. We'll sign off, Mike. Okay, thanks, Gary. Hope you get feeling better. Appreciate you calling in and uh, so forth. Yeah, someone texted in, John did, that Luther had his faults. He hated Jews. Uh, well, that's probably right uh, in, in some way. I, I think it's somewhat unfair 
I think it's somewhat unfair to take our modern sensibilities and put them back on people in ancient times. But on the other hand, when something is wrong, it's wrong. It's difficult. We, we can't throw away every good a thing person, everything good a person said or did because of some one fault that they had altogether. But Luther hated Jews, and I think he, I think he did so because he had this misconception that it was only the Jews who had killed Christ and not the Romans too. The Jews did kill Jesus, but so did the Romans. Jews and Gentiles killed Jesus, and so uh, that was part of it. Well, I really appreciate uh, some of the text we've got. I think John's texting a couple more things here about that we need to look at. Um, <clears throat> um, it appears he says that Paul met with Jew the Jews and came to an agreement of what the bare minimum would be expected of Gentiles. Well, I, I don't know if he came to an agreement. I think he I think he was teaching what God said in Acts 15 that what would be expected of the Gentiles they would be they would not be expected to circumcise their children, but they would be expected not to keep pagan worship rituals like eating blood and so forth and so on, making sacrifices to false gods. He, he said they had to stop doing those things which were uh, which were idolatrous, although they didn't have to circumcise their children and they had to be saved the same way. Paul says that they would be saved, or Peter does, the same way as us, by repenting, being baptized. And so both Jew and Gentile had to be circumcised. And there, there, there was this whole issue of, circumcision, although it wasn't something that anybody could see from the outside whether a person was circumcised. It was, certainly was not a custom that any of the Gentiles practiced. It was a custom that had started with Abraham, not just the Jews. Before there were Jews, there was Abraham. God gave the custom of circumcision to Abraham. And um, it became a, a uh, it, it was replaced by baptism, according to the book of Colossians that baptism becomes the new seal of the covenant and just because it represents the cutting off of the flesh. See, um, we're all over the place here today, but the, the, the problem with um, the, the point of circumcision was not that it was just some, the reason God gave circumcision to um, to the Jews was not just to have some strange custom that would be totally theirs. And it, it didn't really have anything to do with sex, even though it even though it involves the male sexual organ, the cutting off of the foreskin. We find out that circumcision is about the literal cutting off of the flesh. Many, many things in the Old Testament covenant from Abraham and even through Moses were about physical things that came to have spiritual meaning in New Testament times. So they had a physical temple where God dwelt in the Old Testament. We are now literally, or we are now spiritually the temple of Christ. The individual heart and the church is the temple of Christ. There was literal animal sacrifices. Now we have the spiritual sacrifices, the sacrifice of Christ. And so it is with circumcision, where you're cutting away a piece of flesh from the body. He says that uh, in Christ, he says in, in Colossians chapter 2, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands of putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So he says, yes, you Christians, even though these are Gentiles he's talking to, who are not physically circumcised for the, for the most part, he says, you've been circumcised in Christ with a circumcision not made with hands, not done physically by a, by a rabbi's hands, and you've put off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What's the next verse say? Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So he says that even though they were uncircumcised in the flesh, they've been made alive in the spirit through baptism here. So he says baptism is the spiritual circumcision of the putting off of the sins of the flesh, the washing away of the sins, the cutting off of the of the sins of the flesh from the person, just like in the Old Testament, circumcision was cutting off a piece of flesh from the literal body. He says baptism cuts off the flesh, and that means 
my own sinful desire to have whatever I want. That's what the flesh means. Most of the time in the New Testament, it means my own flesh and desire to do it my way and to have what I want. We kill that. We cut that off from us when we become a Christian. That's what we were talking about before. In Christ, we have a new life. We, it's not a matter of my body, my choice. And this idea of being baptized illustrates that. It's, that's exactly what it's about. It's saying to God, I'm going I'm to wash all this away. I'm going to be lit, physically, spiritually circumcised, cut all that off in my life, and live the life that you want. That's what baptism's about. That's what becoming a Christian's about. And so, yes, Paul was telling them, yeah, you've got to be circumcised, but with the circumcision not made with hands. And that's why circumcision of the flesh, of the Jews' practice, was neither here nor there. That doesn't matter today. If you want to circumcise your children, circumcise your children. If you want to leave them uncircumcised, leave them uncircumcised. Doesn't make you better or worse. Doesn't make you a better Christian or a more faithful person than not doing it. God says it's plain that it's not a matter of requirement. But now being baptized, that makes a big difference because that's the new circumcision that puts you into covenant with God. The idea of circumcision is you're accepting the covenant that God made with his people from the time of Abraham and then been renewed under Moses. You're becoming a covenant person under God's, under God's covenant by being baptized. Same thing as being circumcised if you were a Jew. Now, I know that's uh, controversial today for some people because they've tried, all, they've tried since the time of Martin Luther and the errors of the Catholic Church to convince you that baptism isn't important. But you've got to remember something. And I, I know this from talking to many of you and lots of other people in my life. When, when I say the word baptism, a lot of you, since you grew up Roman Catholic or Episcopalian or Lutheran or something, have in mind some kind of a, a ritual, a meaningless ritual that was done to a baby before the baby could even understand anything. And, and, and it's just a ritual that's done without any kind of meaning at all. Uh, that's not what the New Testament says baptism is. So when I talk about baptism, I'm not talking about that meaningless ritual done to babies. I'm talking about someone who is intentionally as an adult in faith, responding to what God says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, the gospel says. And so those that's the baptism I'm talking about. A baptism not made with hands, it's not about a ritual. It's done by a believer in turning to Christ and intentionally saying, I want to be buried with him and become his and put on a, be raised up to walk a new life. This is what baptism's about. Not the thing that Martin Luther, Martin Luther was, almost said Martin Luther King, not the thing that Martin Luther was reacting to and so forth. So get out of your mind your understandings of the Roman Catholic teaching and some of the Protestant teachings about some of these traditions and begin to accept what the Bible says about those things, not what your priest has said or what you were taught or what some televangelist says, but what the Bible says about those kind of things, except that, and don't let anybody talk you out of it and so forth. And so anyway, we got a couple minutes left. We appreciate it. If anybody wants to text in, we still have time for that or to call. We appreciate those who have participated today <clears throat> very much. And hope I haven't missed anything. I'm here by myself, so I may have missed a text. It's possible, especially since, like a dummy, I left my phone back in another part of the church building this morning when I was getting ready for the show. And uh, so, therefore, I don't have it in front of me. I'm, I'm only getting things on my watch. Isn't it wonderful to have this technology where I can get uh, get these texts on, on my watch? It's crazy. Anyway, boy, is that handy in the car for a person who's directionally challenged like myself? It, it bangs my it, it bangs my wrist when I'm supposed to turn. Otherwise, I couldn't even find my way home from Publix. Well, you know, I've only lived here for 26, 27 years. I mean, you can't expect me to know what's on US-1 and how to get home, can you? Uh, that's why I look at it. We appreciate you uh, listening to the show today. I do want to tell you a little bit about a couple things here at the church. We, <clears throat> we are now live streaming our services at from 10 to 12 on Sunday mornings, both our Bible class and worship on YouTube, Facebook, and Zoom. And uh, I can't give you all of those, but if you'll go look up uh, Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard on Facebook or on YouTube, it's Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard or Savona Boulevard Church of Christ. You look it up and you'll get a, you can sign on to either one of those. It's a good high quality live stream that you can have and you can follow us there. 
we'd like to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. And we invite you to come and be with us today. We meet at 10 o'clock for a Bible study in just a few minutes. We meet at 11 o'clock for our worship and 7.30 on Wednesday night at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. Well, thanks for listening, and may God bless you until next week. Hope you can tune in again then. Thank you very much. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.